Well, see, I saw you standing on the edge of the balcony. I was afraid you were going to take the leap of faith. <laughs> All right, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter number 6. And we're talking about uh, making a stand. Now, you need to understand some things about stand. Separation is still a biblical principle in the Bible. <laughs> I got one amen. <laughs> You're separated right now from the world. And the rest of the world is going to ball games. The rest of the world is uh, overcoming their hang-ups and their headaches and their hangovers from yesterday and that kind of thing. And you've come out from the world and you've come to church today. Separation is something that you do naturally. You separate from certain foods that you don't like because they make you sick. You separate from certain uh, uh, affiliations because they create problems or issues for you. So when you hear somebody coming in and talking to you about the modern church is supposed to be accepting of anything, that's a demonic teaching. Uh, the Bible never teaches you. The Bible tells you clearly in the Bible, you said, come out from among him and be ye what? And touch not the unclean thing. And then he says, what concord hath Christ with who? And what fellowship hath light with? Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye? Okay, so it's a biblical principle. That's in a Pauline epistle. Uh, the Word of God teaches you in the Old Testament that the Jews were called out as a separate and a peculiar people. So you never want to get the misunderstanding that uh, what the things you divide over or that kind of a deal, you don't want to divide over foolish things. You know, how many angels dance on the head of a pen or who's making umbrellas for the millennial reign. Or as I have said and just trying to use it and I tried to pick a silly illustration to make a, a, a biblical point. Non-biblical things are not stuff to make separation over. I used flat earth because you have to go to outside the, the Bible sources to try to even prove any kind of point. That stuff's been settled a long time ago. In the book of Luke, you go through the book of Luke and you find out in the last days, it'll be around, oh, 17 or 18 there. It's on the left-hand page there. But he says, uh, you have uh, uh, two women there that are at the mill. That's in the daytime they're working and two in bed at nighttime sleeping. That's day and night at the same time. Well, if everything's flat, you can't have day and night at the same time. So it's showing you that the thing is circular. But to try to argue with that kind of stuff and to split the body of Christ over something like that, that's where the devil gets in. To split over political affiliations. Who you should and shouldn't vote for. To make a, a stupid uh, a statement along these lines, I think God will hold uh, you accountable for how you're, what your voting record is at the judgment seat. How can you even say that? What do they do with countries that don't even have that to talk about? But churches split over it. In my day coming up, of course, I grew up in the mountains up in Tennessee for a big portion of when I grew up. I've seen them split the church because they didn't use seafoam green. Uh, they must have had seafoam green for 50 cents for a five-gallon bucket back then because every Southern Baptist church you went into nearly, they had seafoam green paint on the walls, most of them concrete walls. And I've seen them split over whether or not to spend $300 to repair a, a lawnmower or to buy a new lawnmower. 
That's back in the days where they would have on Wednesday night, they'd have open business meetings and people would be ready to throw song books at each other and that kind of stuff. That's the wrong kind of separation. That's not a biblical kind of thing. But be careful not to make your pet preferences a, a doctrine. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, rules and regulations exist for a reason and church is no exception to that rule. You think I come to church, well, I'm coming to church, so I'm doing everybody a favor by coming to church, so rules don't apply to me. Well, they apply everywhere else in life and you apply them in life, but it's, it's interesting how that transpires. But you don't split the church over something like that. So I'm going to show you some things about standing, but when you're standing, you're standing against opposition. You're standing in, that's those uh, uh, checks they sent in. Uh, the, uh, uh, here, I just will give you this one too while I'm at it because I'll forget to put it in the plate. That's all I got. <laughs> I'm just checking. I think I got a, yeah, I got a cough drop. No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But what you've got to be careful about is, is winding up making things so stiff that you don't give people room to be able to move. That's not compromise. But you need to know where you stand and what you stand on. And when I'm talking about standing here, I'm talking about on biblical doctrine, biblical things that are correct, not things that you bring up. Sometimes you'll bring up a comparison. And you use those things as a contrast or a comparison. The Lord will say, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Contrast. A fox and a bird has a place to be, but if you're going to follow me, you may not have a place to call your own. You see the contrast? And that's what he'll do. He'll contrast those things. But it's not to create a division. I mentioned to you when we first started this right here that you start off in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And in 1 Corinthians 3, one says, I'm of Cephas. And one says, I'm of Apollos. Another one says, I'm of Paul. Another one says, I'm of Christ. Well, it's four different kinds of things that are going on there. And they're all necessary in the church. Everybody can't do the same thing. The frustration that you Marthas will get into is, is you think that your way and the things you do are more important than anybody else's. Well, that's like me saying 300 people should be preaching in the pulpit today. Well, we need 300 more churches because everybody can't preach in the pulpit. Now, there'll be certain things that over a period of time, you come to your own uh, decisions about those things as to what you believe or your preferences, but make sure before they become doctrine, you're willing to die for them. For instance, the King James Bible. Blood, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. Uh, re recognizing salvation is by grace through faith. Baptism doesn't save you. Lord's Supper doesn't save you. They're ordinances. Uh, joining the church doesn't make you a, a, a member of the body of Christ. Joining the church doesn't uh, add anything to you anymore and putting you in a barn turns you into a horse. It, it's not anything to do with that. Those are things that are important for you to understand. The church does, joining the church or coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. Amen. You're saved by grace through faith. Yes. So what happens is, is you have to be careful that the church doesn't get pulled into uh, things that are going on in the modern world. Uh, there's a certain position that you take. Now, I mentioned this the other day and I caught a little bit of heat for it. The church doesn't have any business going down to an abortion clinic and parading around with half-born fetuses and things like that and making it a biblical uh, a position. I'm not for abortion. 
But what a business does a church have to go down there to be trying to catch the kids when they're coming in there to get an abortion or they don't have to check with their mom and dad and all that? The issue is, is that's an issue outside of this. We know what the Bible teaches about it. You preach it and you move on. It doesn't become the main thing. Uh, they get ready to have a, a, a parade here. They did it not long ago. They had a rainbow parade, now they call it, and, and they're going to parade everybody, LBGTQ and RSV and WXYZ or whatever all's out there that they've added to it now. Uh, the church doesn't have any business going down there and starting a fight over that. The church is positioned strong. Why would you weaken your position and ruin your credibility by going down there and saying, I protest? Well, who doesn't know you protest? The church ought to be strong enough to recognize that's not right. They know it's wrong. They know it's filthy. They know it's a sin. That's why they're trying to convince you otherwise. But you know what happens? You get down there. You know what our position is on that. No question about it. But I go down and preach on the street. and We go down and pass out tracts to do what? See people saved. Not to convince them that their homosexuality is wrong. Now some of you have a hard time with that. That's the same thing with political deals. I don't care if you get involved in politics. We're just not doing it in the church. We're not going to turn it into a voting precinct and that kind of a deal. It's a good way to cause a split. I can't even get you to agree on whether or not you should have coffee, tea, or water for dinner. <laughs> the answer is it doesn't matter. Some like coffee, some like tea, and some want water. Well, you want big water, you want little water. You want a water with gas in it, the, 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 the bubbles in it, or the, you want Perrier, or you want San Pellegrino. The issue is, in church, it doesn't matter. Do you understand? Now, people have enough sense to know that, ladies and gentlemen, but as a Christian, you should know that. But you can't be, you can't be so spineless that you don't take a stand on certain things. Is it right to go to church? Yes. Well, you know, I just believe this and that and the other. Have a nice day. On heretic, after the first and second admonition, what? Knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth against himself. Why are you arguing with them? It's a distraction. It gets you off course. The most important thing in your life, and the reason you're here for fellowship right now, and for the reason you're here for Sunday school right now, is your fellowship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Nothing else is going to matter as time gets necking down and things get more and more difficult and things get harder and things get wilder and things get crazy and another plague comes this way, Ebola or whatever it might be. You know what's going to matter? Your relationship with the Lord. I'll give you something the church needs to take a stand on. Your prayer life. How's your prayer life? Can you get a hold of God when you need some direction? Can you get a hold of God when somebody's jammed up in the hospital? Can you get a hold of God when your kid's messed up and running prodigal? Can you get a hold of God? Do you know how to pray? That's what you need to get hung up on. You know, where the kid is, what the kid's doing. Well, the kid shouldn't have been there and there shouldn't have been that. And there's this going on and that going on. It won't make a difference. It won't amount to a real pen. If somebody flings a nuke this way, you know what's going to matter? Your relationship with the Lord. You get the judgment seat of Christ, you know what will matter? What'd you take a stand for? Yes, sir. Did you get distracted? Did you get pulled off the main thing? Look what the Bible says. Now, we've already been through these, and I will not be redundant. I want you to come all the way to verse number 15. The Bible says, Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That means that you have to continue to do, uh, uh, continue to go and continue to do what you've been doing as long as what you're doing is right. Do we uh, change the music here because churches are changing the music? You, you sound a little unsure. <laughs> 
just because the rest of the church is swallowing goldfish and having a peanut butter party and that kind of thing and they wind up increasing the amount of people they, should you continue to, should you say, well, you know, we need to make a change? No, you stick with what, what, what we've been doing for years. It's still right to do right. You don't judge whether you're right by the size of the congregation. Can I give you something here, ladies and gentlemen? You do not know what the substance is by how many flies gather on it. I have seen flies on a coconut cake. And I have seen flies around dog stuff. And I've seen as many flies on the dog stuff as I had on coconut cake. If you judge by how many flies are on it, you might eat the wrong thing. You'll know as soon as you kind of get that little brackish taste. It's like, that ain't coconut cake. <laughs> well, but it had a lot of flies on it. The amount of flies doesn't matter. The Lord always had a remnant. It's not about numbers. It's not about popularity. You want to be popular with Jesus Christ. You don't want to be popular with the world. Uh, well, I don't have to have the world's stamp of approval on what we do here. Why? We're in church. I told you, BBBC. What's the C? Chicken house. We serve chicken. Now we serve it a lot of different ways. But we're not changing chicken. We're not, so we're not going to change and say, well, the rest of the world wants a more wide variety. No. We're going to stick with chicken. And they got ready to go years ago. McDonald's made billions of dollars. And what they had was they had hamburger, they had french fries, and they had some kind of soda water or Coca-Cola or whatever it might be. And then they added a milkshake. And that's all you could get there. And then they went into the two all-beef patty special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, and sesame seed bun. It was just a double hamburger stacked on top of each other. And then they got the quarter pounder and all that. And they pretty much stayed the same. Hamburger, french fries, Coca, or milkshake. Well, then all of a sudden the market began to change and then they started saying we need to have healthier choices. When I go to a hamburger joint, I'm not looking for a healthy choice. Amen. Surely you know that. I mean, unless you just pull the meat out of there and eat that and, you know, their meat, I guess, might be 100%, but some of that other meat out there is like, you know, 100% worms or something. But I'm not going there eating french fries thinking they're healthy. That's not the vegetable of the day. Put some tomatoes, I mean, some ketchup on it. Now I've had my t potatoes and tomatoes, so I've... No, add a piece of lettuce on there and, a, and, and... No, that's not what I go to a hamburger joint for. I don't go to a greasy joint like that because I like the taste of hamburger and greasy food. A milkshake being healthy. That's insane. A Coca-Cola being healthy when it's got about 300 teaspoons of sugar in it. I'm not going... I'm going for the sugar. I'm not going because I'm wanting to be healthy. If I want to go be healthy, then I'll go to some Chinger health food restaurant or something and get bean sprouts or whatever. I don't go for that. But you know what they did? They're going to make a healthy choice. And the first one they came out was this parfait yogurt that had yogurt in it, which is just a different way of doing dairy. And then you know what they wound up doing with it? Putting all kind of stuff on it. Chocolate syrup and strawberry syrup and all that other kind of stuff. There's enough calories in one spoon of that to kill you. And so you're going there for that. And then it's like, well, you can also get a salad. Who wants to go to a hamburger joint for a salad? I mean, go to fried green tomatoes or something for a salad. Why do you do that? Here's the point. The next thing you know, what they began to do started catching on. So they came out with the McGriddles and the Egg McMuffin. Because they realized, you know what we can do? We can start, come on in and find you a spot anywhere you want to find one. And uh, glad to see you. And I'm sorry I missed you Wednesday night. I didn't get back there to you before you got out. But I'm glad to have you back. I'm talking to you, sis. Ma'am, sir, I'm, 
I'm glad y'all are here. I appreciate it. I tried to get back to speak to you Wednesday, but you, you, you cut out. You were like a smoke here. You, you disappeared. <laughs> but, now, but now listen to me. Here's what they did. They started giving you a wide variety. So now you got all the breakfast stuff on there. And now you got lunch stuff on there. And now you got healthy stuff on there. That's a marketing scheme to try to get you to come as if one size fits all. Well, church is not supposed to be that way. We have one thing to offer. We have Jesus Christ to offer. It's not aerobics and help for your marriage and help for your prodigals and help for your health and having uh, voting precincts and all that other stuff. It's church. It's about the Lord and His kingdom. And if you come from other churches where their uh, variety is the spice of life, that's a non-biblical approach. You say, well, it's boring. I bet you some of you people have been going to church and been going to work now for 20 or 30 years. You go to the same job and you've been doing it all the time. And I bet you keep going five days a week and you don't miss because you get a paycheck and church is boring. How could you do that, man? I mean, if you come Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday morning church, Sunday night, that's four, that may be four hours a day and it's boring. I bet you sit at home and get more bored than that. But you see, the pressure is change the church and make it more interesting. No, you should adapt to the church, not the church adapt to you. You got it backwards. The standard is supposed to be here. Watch. Uh, forsake not the assembly yourselves together, even more so such as you see the day approaching. You say, what does that mean? I'm supposed to be going to church. You say, why? In the last days, like you heard a couple of Wednesday nights ago, in the last days what happens is, is everybody dissolves. Nobody wants to go to church anymore and everybody does the book of Judges and does that which is right in their own eyes. That's where you're headed if you don't hold to. What is church for? It's to hear about the Lord, it's to grow in the knowledge of Him and to increase my fellowship with Him. Get ready for the judgment seat of Christ. That's what church is for. It's not about entertainment. It's not about you not being bored. I don't want to bore you to death. I don't want you to be bored as cracker juice. But you come with a misconception that you walk in there and it's this variety. I think I want to... You know what they do even at McDonald's? 11 o'clock, they cut it off. You can't get an Egg McMuffin or a McGriddle or a whatever else they got up there now at 11 o'clock. You know what they do at a regular restaurant? They serve breakfast up to a certain time and then they tell you you can't get it anymore. But you come to church and expect to get a breakfast whenever you want it. You dictate to, to the chef. I'll tell you what I want. Go to a different restaurant and tell them. You go in and tell your boss tomorrow morning. I want you to walk in and tell your boss tomorrow morning. You know what? I'm tired of coming this way. and I'm tired of sitting in the same cubicle and the same desk. I'm tired of doing the same job. I don't want to sit on the backhoe no more. You're going to give me a promotion and they'll promote you right out the door. But your mindset as you come to church, that's a worldly theology. Why am I coming to the church? To learn about an old-fashioned book. Amen. We don't change our position on the Bible. Amen. You say, what is it? It's the same position it's always been. Yes. Well, but the rest of the world, I don't care what the rest of the world, doesn't bother me in the least. Praise Greek God. and Hebrew and Aramaic and Chaldee, I don't, it doesn't bother me. I'm not impressed with that. Amen. Let me show you something that nobody ever found out. You ever, you ever realize that in the New Testament there, when the Lord is getting ready, He's talking about the son of perdition over there in the book of Revelation, and then He goes to His place and that kind of a deal? Do you ever realize in the King James Bible, and no, no Greek scholar will ever give you this, that in that thing right there, He said, uh, he said whoever dips the sop, yep. 
S-O-P. Son of perdition. That's not in the Greek. You say, who was that? He's talking to Judas Iscariot. You say, where is that? It's in English. Do you have the English mastered? I'm not just talking about in your method of speech. Do you have the English mastered? You approach that Bible with a humble mind and a broken heart and a contrite spirit and you admit your ignorance and spend time in the book. God will show you things in that book you've never seen before. You don't need to have another language. That's, just imp that's impressive about you. Well, our pastor knows Greek and Hebrew. What does that mean? Even if I did know all of that, what good does it do you? A deeper meaning? How about let's just stick with the meaning that's there? Now, here's what I'm trying to get across to you is when it says feet shod with the gospel preparation of peace, you don't change where you go just because it's no longer uh, 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 preferred out there in the world. They still go to ball games sure. and act the fool. Yeah. Well, why don't you change where you go there? You still go to Walmart? Yeah. Why don't you change that? You still go to the grocery store? I bet you you folks go to your favorite grocery store. I bet you do. I bet you know the aisleways and what's where and when it's where and how it's there and when the specials are on and this and that and the other. Why don't you change the grocery store you go to? I mean, go to, go to Aldi's and go to Publix and go to Winn-Dixie. and I mean, variety is the price of life. You're a hypocrite because you don't do it anywhere else. Most of you go the same way to work if statistics are true. 90% of you drive for 25 years the same way you've always gone to work. Every time you leave the house, you go the exact same way. That's why the majority of accidents happen within five miles of your house because you go the same way all the time. And guess what happens? After a while, you just kind of take things for granted and before long, you wind up because you get too relaxed. Now, how come it is when you come to church? Well, we're going to church. It's just the same thing. The guy up there running his mouth. Well, we're not changing. You say, well, we'll change your pastor. Okay, I'll preach somewhere else. Just because you change the pastor doesn't mean that you're going to change that. That's the last days. The last days is they give, they give uh, heed to seducing spirits. What happens? Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, heat for themselves after their own lust, teachers having itching ears, and be turned from the truth and turned to the fables. That's the last day. You don't have to be that way. You say, what do we do? Listen, I know churches all through the South. There's four of them right now. Four. Four that have called us because we have a school and saying, can you recommend a pastor? The audacity of me to call them and say, well, give me some of the stipulations about what's going on. Here's the first question. How many have you have had a pastor? How many pastors have you had in the last five years? Well, we've had three. You think I'm going to send one of our guys up there if you've already had three in five years? You're changing them as often as you change your underwear. I'm not doing that. You say, well, that's their decision. No, it's not. I'm not even going to make an offer to them. You say, why? Put them and their family in jeopardy? Because there's a bunch of people running the church? That's not how it goes. You walk into your boss's office tomorrow without an appointment. Just walk in there and say, hey, I'm going to talk to you. Now, I've been working here this many years, and I've been down here in the basement. It's about time you moved me up. You know what? You know, the way you're running this company, it ain't working for me. Really, why don't you do that? But you do it in church. Well, I don't like that Sunday school teacher. Well, who died and left you, God? 
A lot to be said for loyalty. Amen. Let me show you something about Moses. This is an important thing for you to understand. The separation is important. Uh, it's important for you to understand there's certain things. Come over, if you will, please, to Hebrews. Let's go to 11. Hebrews, that's a verse on coffee in the Bible. Everything's important in the, in the church. You, you know what? I, I literally, I do not want any nursery worker to quit. Now, I, I realize there's some of you know, well, I've done my time. So that was a sentence? How would, you, how would you feel about it if I said that to you? Well, I've done my time. Well, I've been here 33 years. Where's my gold watch? Where's my retirement package? I mean, you had 30 years working somewhere. Anybody ought to retire after 30. <laughs> or 32. You're getting quiet. I'm just saying, will, will you retire early? Why can't I? Listen, Sunday school teachers and, and working in the nursery and moving chairs and mopping, mopping floors and all, that's just as important as what I'm doing. It's all necessary. Did you ever think when you put your hind end on a toilet seat in there, somebody wiped it before you sat down? You ever think of that kind of stuff? My goodness, man, we bought a dump truck load of toilet paper to take care of six or 700 people here. Who's changing the roles? Well, what are they doing? Changing rolls of toilet paper. Putting out paper towels. You got women in there st stacking th uh, paper towels. In a so why? People wash their hands. Who filled the soap dispensers? Where's a towel? Where's a towel? I don't have a towel. I hope you raise that much sand at home. Who does the dishes at the house? You ever? Nobody? They're stacking up, right? <laughs> well, you do the dishes at the house. You men, when you bust the suds at the house, you come in out there and baby, them dishes are the cleanest they've ever been. You know, <laughs> Your idea of doing dishes is throw them all in the dishwasher. <laughs> do you quit doing dishes? You ain't going to quit doing dishes until you quit eating. I told a fellow the other day, he's about to get married, and he said, can you give me some uh, advice? And I said, sure. And he said, uh, I'd like to know what would you suggest? And I said, invest in paper and styrofoam. <laughs> yes, I did. That's what I told him. He said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you save a lot of time not washing dishes. You're done. You throw it in the trash can. You're finished with it. I said, you're going to wind up with China that's going to sit in a China cabinet. And it's going to become a dust collector. And you ain't ever going to use it because you're afraid you'll break it. And that old man grabbed me. He's 85 years old and had the privilege. He's in Alabama. He said, I'd like for you to come by the house and eat. And we had some uh, deer steak there and some green beans and stuff like that. And he said, Preacher, could you come here just a minute? And he's a little bit crippled up there. And he walks over there and he says, you see that right there? And I said, yes, sir. And I kind of grinned. He said, that's my china cabinet. And I said, I see that. <laughs> And I said, how long has it been in there? He said, 35 years. <laughs> I said, well, at least it's protected from the dust in there. He said, yeah, but the cabinet ain't. <laughs> <laughs> you keep washing dishes, don't you? Listen, ladies and gentlemen, the Christian life is one of routine duty. Amen. 
It ain't like getting saved every day. You want some excitement? Go stick your fingers in a light socket. <laughs> That'll give you a charge you won't forget for a while. But the Christian life sometimes is sag, bag, and drag, man. Just because you're saved, it just means you have Christ with you, but you wake up with the same headache. You wake up with the same, you know, I'm constipated, I'm frustrated, I'm aggravated, I'm irritated, I'm agitated. Well, welcome to life. Amen. Amen. You get victory over that kind of stuff, then God bless you. You'll have victory for a while, but sooner or later something will come lay you low. Yes. That's part of the Christian life. You don't quit doing it because it's just not fun and exciting anymore. Amen. You say, what is it? Life. Life is like Chronicles. I mean, there's a couple of good things in the Chronicles, but man, the rest of that stuff is, is like life. You can't explain it. A hash above, begat Batelatub, and begat Illabub, and begat Visabub, and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, how in the world? And then if you try to pronounce it in Hebrew with that, you know, that's how some of you have been for the last month or so with the sickness that's going around and trying to hawk something up. That's life. I don't want to disillusion you. I'm glad you're here today. But you've got to be realistic about what it is you expect. Maybe some of you, when you, every time you walk into Walmart, it's like, I'm in Walmart! This is so great! It's like, I'm in Walmart again. I hope I can get out and not be stuck like the guy at the front door who couldn't ever find his way out. Now they made him a greeter. He aged 20 years trying to get out through self-checkout and he never could do it and keeps turning around like a rat in a maze and can't find the cheese. And, right? Now, maybe you, maybe you get that way, but the majority of the time that you go to a restaurant, come on now, be honest, isn't it the same restaurant and you just go there to eat? Yeah. It's not always a fancy dinner with candlelight and, and it's special. I mean, not unless you're mega wealthy. You don't go to uh, Capitol Grill every, every day of the week. That's a once or twice a year thing, ain't it? Yeah. Y'all must live in a different world, man. Uh, I would say maybe Outback's a little bit more popular than Capitol Grill. Yeah. Well, it's the same piece of meat. No, it ain't. One of them cost about four times what the other one cost. <laughs> I can't. Anyway, do you understand? That's life. That's what I'm talking to you about. I'm telling you that a soldier's life is spent more time training and getting ready for something than it is in actual combat. That's the Christian life. Don't be disillusioned by that. There's nothing wrong with that. What they're trying to do is turn it into some kind of a theatrical performance to charge you up emotionally. What a letdown, man. All I got to do is wait for the sun to crack the horizon tomorrow morning about 6.30 in the morning, which was 7.30 and now it's 6.30 because it really is 6.30 instead of 7.30 or however. But all I got to do is wait for that thing to peep over and all of a sudden the week's activities flood my mind. And I got to get up and guess what? Tomorrow morning when I get up, I'm not going to church. I'm going, I got work to do. Things to do, places to go, and people to see. What is that? Life. Amen. That's the Christian life. Let me show you a couple of things about this. Don't, don't change it just because it's not exciting all the time. I mean, I don't know about you. I had an exciting time over there for the Jubilee. Amen. I mean, I'm prejudiced, I'll confess to you, but I think that's the best one we ever had. 
And the boys all preached great messages. The singing was absolutely phenomenal. The attitude and everybody getting along and then everybody helping and tearing everything down in the, at the end of that. I mean, I'm telling you, man, I came out of that thing. I'm four foot off the ground. And then come Monday. And it's like, oh, yeah. Back to the real world. All right, now watch. Here's his uh, Moses, and this has to do with Hebrews. And he had to make some choices. You're going to have to make choices in life. Don't your kids have to make choices? Don't you teach your kids to make right choices? How many of you have ever taught your kids, don't get in the car with a strange man? Well, you're negative. Why don't you give them the benefit of the doubt? Nice fella who'd come by and lost his puppy and got a little collar and a, a, a dog lead there. Go, go ahead and give him the benefit of the doubt. You don't teach him stranger danger? I mean, I'm talking about even in church. People come up all the time, this is Brother Peacock, it's okay. Uh-uh, don't tell them that. You wait until they recognize it's okay. You don't, you say, why? You're breaking a barrier that's natural. Don't you teach your kids that? That's well, a Christian life. You know what you just did? Why, you prejudicial rascal, you. You just said that there might be some evil people in the world. How dare you say that about somebody? Don't you ever watch somebody walking in the mall or going through a parking lot or something like that and there's something about them that don't hit you right? And don't you say to your kids, uh, stay away from that fella. Why? Well, how dare you just because of how they're dressed? Well, you negative rascal, you. You say, what are you doing? You're making choices. You're erring on the side of caution. That's what you should do in the Christian life. If it's doubtful, it's dirty. If you're not sure, don't do it. That's what you teach your kids, isn't it? I mean, don't you ladies, when you, your daughter brings home somebody, don't you know your radar picks up right off the bat if he's a bad boy? Come on, ladies, you know a bad boy when you see him, don't you? And you know what you'll tell her? You'll say, I know what you see in him and it ain't good. Kick him to the curb. Don't you? Why, you prejudicial rascal, you. You're so negative. You know why you do that? Don't you want what's best for your daughter or your granddaughter? I mean, they may not listen. You didn't. <laughs> but you try. All right, let me show you some things that Moses did here, making a choice. We got a couple of minutes here. Uh, look in verse number 23. We're in 1123. Not 1122. 1122 in the passage there has to do with Joseph's bones. I guess it's a dead... Anyway. Verse 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, hid three months after his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. All right? Would you agree with me then? He has to rely on his parents. You say, why? He's a kid. If the kids were in here, you know what I would say? I don't care if you like your parents or not. They got more sense than you do. They've made it older than you have. They see things you don't see. You're not even capable of seeing it yet. All right, come on down if you will. Please look in verse number 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
He refused to go along with a social position. He wasn't interested in popularity. Can you imagine the pressure? He said, I'm not going to remain safe. I'm not going to be affiliated or associated with the woman that raised me. Now, don't you think for a minute that that didn't tug him? He's, he doesn't think he's special because he's Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter's raised him since he was a baby in a little basket. He always was a basket case. But, you, but, but listen to me now. You know what he said? I'm, you're not my mama. Boy, that comes with a mouthful. You know what he said? I'm not going to be affiliated with that. He made a choice to be separate. You think that was popular? Well, let me ask you a question. Who do you run with? Yeah. Pharaoh's daughter, that'd be a type of the world, wouldn't it? Yes. Wouldn't that be like Egypt? Yes, sir. Okay. Are you willing to say, I don't want to be like the world? Yeah. Do you teach your kids to be like the world? No. So they can get along with the world? Mm. Or are you going to teach and rely on God to take care of them? Come on down and just point out a couple of things here. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Would you agree with me that he was ready to take persecution for his decision? Do you ever teach your kids it's going to cost them something to call themselves a Christian? You know what they're trying to do right now? They'll get you at work. You know what they'll say to you at work? They'll say to you at work, uh, we want you to participate in Halloween. You know what, if you decide to say no, if that's your choice, if you decide to do that, you know what you have to be willing to do? You have to know you're going to get persecuted for it. You make people uncomfortable. You're getting ready to go to Christmas parties and stuff. And some of the times you have to go to those things. And I understand how all that works. And you're required and it's a work event. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, I'm not going to walk around with a, 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 there's a fancy name, just a minute, it'll come to me, a, a champagne flute. And pour Perrier in it yeah. so it's bubbling and I look like everybody else. Or give me a glass with orange juice in it. If I have to go because I'm, I'm going to make my rounds and I'm out of here. Amen. But you know what's going to happen? You're going to get persecuted for it. You say, well, why aren't you drinking? I don't drink. No, thank you. You know the odd thing? If you tell them you're a recovering alcoholic, you know what they'll do? They'll say, oh, oh. Oh, we, hey, you know what? We, we, no problem at all. You say, I don't drink because I'm a Christian? Oh. Oh, that, oh. Now, you know what some of you are doing? Like, man, I never thought about it. I'm a recovering alcoholic. Well, that'll be easy. <laughs> you ever realize, ladies and gentlemen, that he, uh, he was ready for persecution? Come on down in that passage. Look in verse number 25. And choosing rather to suffer than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He rejected the sinful pleasures. It didn't say that they weren't going to be. It says the pleasures of sin. Sin's pleasurable. I don't care what you try to tell your kids. Oh, it's no good for you. You ain't going to tell a kid that's been smoking tater or weed or blunts or whatever you want to call it that it ain't fun. You get out there and get high as a stinking kite. You ain't going to tell them it ain't fun. They're going to know you're lying. It's pleasurable. You ain't going to tell a kid who's wound up going out there and having uh, physical relations outside of the marital bed and so on and so forth. You're not going to tell them it ain't fun. You're a fool if you can tell them that. It's pleasurable. For a season. And then you may wind up thinking you never would. You might wind up down in an abortion clinic. And then live with that the rest of your life. 
Or you might wind up having the kid and having to give it off, give it away. Because he'll kick you to the curb. So you, you drop your head, you get real uncomfortable right there. The mistake you make is, is to act like sin's not pleasurable. It's pleasurable. It's peeling to the flesh. That's why you still do it even after you're saved. It's pleasurable for a season. You reap what you sow. That boa constrictor will eventually grab a hold of you and choke you to death. You know what they're trying to do? They took the Ten Commandments out of the school. You know why? The Ten Commandments is a schoolmaster to bring you to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You tell that kid over and over and over, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. You tell them that on a regular basis, they come to know God at an early age. They took it out. You say, what are they? Damn the kids. Don't care about their eternal deal. What's that up there for? To remind them you got to answer to God. Those are God's rules, God's rules, God's rules, God's rules. And you think because I don't know about it, I'm not accountable for it. That's not true. You are accountable for it. Let me give you one more. We're going to take a, a break here. Um, notice what happens or what he gets as a result of that. Look at what he gets as a benefit, what he considers a benefit. Verse number 26, esteeming the what? The reproach of Christ greater than the riches of the treasures in Egypt. Can I tell you this, ladies and gentlemen? The treasures in Egypt were some pretty major treasures. You know what he said? I'd rather have the reproach. You're raised in a generation that believes that Christianity is supposed to get along with everybody at all cost. I believe you ought to win unto Jesus Christ, but not compromise to make them think that if I just get saved, all my problems are over. Well, what I've told you this morning is, is your problems are just beginning. You're going to get more problems than you had before you got saved. You're going to have problems no matter what. But you get a better eternal reward than they do. You say, what is that? That's don't stop doing what's right to do. Don't get caught up in this complacency. Psst, not that big of a deal. Psst, don't worry about that. Listen, if that's your tendency, go a little further to the right. Don't get so close to the edge. You won't regret that. Well, I don't want to be... Well, you know what's strange? You don't care being way over here to the left. You're always worried about being too far this way. Why is that? Why is it Christians are always worried about going too far to, to cleanliness and holiness and separation? Why is it Christians are always worried about going too far this way and they're never worried about going too far this way? As if you're not going to go too far this way? I had a Christian tell me one time, I happened to know him and know him pretty well, and he got messed up, and you can make all kind of excuses or reasons as to why he did what he did, but the bottom line is, is he had some severe back problems, and they got him on some medicine, and he started taking medicine, and then the medicine got expensive, and then he got to a point in his life where he couldn't live without that uh, medication anymore, and then before long, he started going down, and he got his first taste of heroin. And his words, not mine. I said, I've been around people that have done it and all that. I'm not familiar with it. And why do you stay on that? I mean, what, what is it so hard about it to quit? And he said, the hardest thing to quit is not just the jonesing and the going through the withdrawals. He said, the hardest thing to quit is, is the first time you experience that, it's unlike anything that I can even put into words. And he said, ever since I did that the first time, I've been chasing that same thing again. And he said, it's not that I fear the, the 
um, uh, the withdrawals and all the things that go with that or even going to jail, he said, I'm hoping for that experience one more time. He said, the hard thing for me is, is to quit what I got when I got it the first time. I thought, man, there's your secret to addiction. He's seeking for something that by his words, he said, I've never seen it again. But I'm still looking for it. Father, bless your word. Thank you for the